I am grateful to be here this morning. I'm especially grateful for the music this morning. Thanks for that music just, for, for me, felt just right. Um, and really goes along with kind of what God's been pressing on my heart this week. Well, uh, we've welcomed a new voice into our home. He's right over there, John Augustine. We we're going to call him Gus, but he's just a John. Just decided to call him John. And if you've, you've got a chance to hold him yet, he has this really amazing ability to sound exactly like a billy goat. Um, and at other times, he sounds exactly... You remember the movie Jurassic Park and the Velociraptors? He does it just a dead-on impression of a Velociraptor. I don't know how he does it. I, we should put it on YouTube or something. It would get a lot of hits. But um, I'm amazed at how such a small little body makes such a loud noise. And how his, his little voice can determine a whole new reality for us. A new reality which uh, includes a little less sleep. Um, yeah, a reality that we know when he, when he says something, it's going to steer us toward action. He either needs to be fed, he needs to be changed, or needs to be held, or he just feels like crying. But his voice governs and steers our reality. This morning we're going to think about another voice that steers and governs our reality. The voice of God that said to Jesus, You are my son, the beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. We're going to pay attention to that voice. And I think in, it, in that voice we'll hear an invitation um, for that voice to be spoken over us and for us to find our home and our direction in that voice that was spoken over Jesus. And that voice is the invitation to a new way of life, a life that begins with and ends with love. But to live this kind of life to, to be, uh, requires a risk on us stepping into the river with Jesus. I'm going to explain that uh, in a little bit. We'll have to drown out those other voices that seek our attention and, and vie to govern our lives. But to live by that voice, that, that voice that says, this is my beloved. It's the freest and fullest life that's possible. So I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture for this morning. We'll be um, reading out of... We're actually going to do uh, something a little bit different as we read the scripture. I, I'm going to ask Andres to throw up an image on there. This morning we're uh, learning about the baptism of Jesus. And this is an icon of the baptism of Jesus. Um, I don't know if you've seen icons before, but they're kind of symbolic representations of biblical stories, biblical truths. This, this story of Jesus' baptism is full of symbolism, full of meaning. And sometimes I've found that icons really help us uh, kind of slow down and take in uh, the richness of the scripture. So we're going to try that new. As I read the scripture, I invite you to either follow along if, if that's more comfortable to you, or uh, to actually look up at the icon and take in uh, the images as I read the scripture. So I'll be reading from verses 15 through 22, and I'm going to read verses 21 through 22 twice because that's where our focus will be this morning. So Luke chapter 3, starting with verse 15. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. 
but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. For the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them by shutting up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. I'm going to read that again and invite you to, uh, to look up at the icon. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this is a loaded scene, as I've discussed. And uh, as we look here at the icon, I want to point out a a couple things to you. First of all, this is the first uh, scene of Jesus uh, as an adult in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Before we had seen him in the temple as a boy of about age 12, and now this is Jesus' first act as an adult. And it's maybe a surprising act, but his first act is allowing himself to be baptized. And it's a loaded scene, right? Because we have the voice from heaven coming down and declaring, revealing that Jesus is the beloved Son of God. Before he does any ministry, before he teaches any parables, before he uh, stirs it up with the Pharisees, he is God's beloved son. That is his identity. Uh, the truest uh, reality of his life, he is God's son. And also, uh, we have, as, as you kind of see the voice from heaven coming down, you notice that there is the dove, uh, representing the Holy Spirit, uh, coming down to rest upon Jesus. Now, um, Icons, again, are helpful because they help us slow down and really take in all this. It's kind of like a movie when they have a slow motion scene, and uh, it slows down, right, because there's too much to take in all at once. The gravity of the scene requires us to really uh, have extra time. The time is thick, so we need to to really be in it. And this is thick time here. So we see Father with the voice, the Spirit uh, as the dove coming down, and we see the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Those in the Eastern Orthodox tradition would call this a theophany which meant that it was a special revelation of the character of God. So we see here Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Trinity uh, emerges at this point in Jesus' baptism. Just, I think, pretty cool. Not only that, but we have uh, the Spirit coming down in the form of the dove. Why does the Spirit come in the form of a dove? You ever think about that? Why the dove? Well, when we see the dove and we see water, um, what do we think about? You can go ahead. Feel free to... Sure. Dove and water. Where else do we see that in Scripture? Noah, yeah. The flood. After the flood, uh, the, the dove comes, as the waters begin to see, the dove comes back to Noah with the olive branch in its, in its beak. 
representing that the floodwaters had receded. So the dove's a symbol of, of renewed creation, of God starting a new thing in creation. And so too, I think it's really purposeful that the Spirit comes in the form of the dove. This is a symbol of God's new creation arising out of the water, out of the baptismal waters as Jesus arises. So this is thick time. This is also, uh, John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. The Jordan River was the place in which Joshua took the Israelites over. They crossed the Jordan, and it symbolizes their entry into the Promised Land. So this uh, new creation, this revelation of the Trinitarian character of God, is also um, hearkening to the entry of Israel into the Promised Land, and Jesus bringing uh, Israel into a new Promised Land through himself. So this is really rich time, really thick time. Now I share all this, not just... Not just a, there's his little voice. It's powerful. Not just to, it's important to know what's going on. Um, just to see how rich this is. We see John the Baptist there uh, on the left-hand side of the icon in and, and his humility baptizing Jesus. And, and we come to grips with what a radical thing that is, that Jesus allows himself to be baptized. We see uh, angels covering their hands uh, in this moment of holiness as they witness the baptism. And, over here are the symbols of, of, of death and chaos that Jesus is triumphing over in baptism. So it's, it's a rich image. But I think all of this should point us uh, to the why question. Why is it that Jesus is getting baptized in the first place? When I read this scripture, that's what comes to mind to me. Why, Jesus, why did he have to get baptized? We read earlier in Luke that John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Why is it that Jesus would need to repent? To undergo that baptism to be forgiven sins. We believe and know that Jesus was without sin, so why participate in baptism? We're going to dive into that question uh, right now. But I I wanted to say, before I go into this, this is actually really um, difficult stuff. It's really rich stuff. It's really life-giving, but it's difficult. And I'm not smart enough to say it in simple terms, if that makes sense. So I'm going to ask you to, uh, to really kind of buckle down and, and go with me here as we tackle some pretty deep theology. I would say put on your thinking caps, but that always struck me as really patronizing. <laughs> um, you think about that like, oh, what, where was it at before? Did I just leave it at the door or something? It always worked for me, though, so I always appreciate when teachers said that. because, like, oh, I actually need to pay attention right now. So we'll put on our, our thinking caps uh, for this part. So why did Jesus get baptized? Well, I believe Jesus was baptized um, as part of his radical identification with us. It was God's radical identification with humanity. We believe that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. So this is Jesus participating fully in humanity. I like thinking of the waters, and as Jesus goes into the water as that being kind of representing all human brokenness and sin and fear and failure. Jesus says, I'm going right there in there with you. I'm identifying with you so that I can heal you and redeem you. He identifies with us so that we can know the true measure of our healing. There's a... um, fourth-century guy named Gregory of Nazianzus. That's a great name, Nazianzus. 
he was a Greek thinker, Greek Christian, and he said this, um, which I think applies here. He said, For that which Jesus has not assumed in the flesh, he has not healed. I'll say that again slowly. For that which he has not assumed in the flesh, he has not healed. Gregory of Nazianzus points to the principle that in God becoming flesh in Jesus Christ, he takes our flesh upon us, takes our nature into himself in order to redeem it and heal it and to raise it up to something new. And baptism is a good illustration of this. As I was thinking about this principle and how to um, maybe illustrate it a little bit, I thought of what Tom, Tom Blansdorf shared a couple weeks ago about the Jesus uh, that was described in the Quran and how uh, the birth story of Jesus, how when Jesus was born, he uh, came out of Mary like talking as an infant and how he kind of went to the temple and kind of was able to tell everybody kind of who he was and refute their arguments and really he came out kind of ruling in, in a sense. That's, that's not our Jesus. Our Jesus didn't come out ruling. He came out to identify with us and to redeem us. Not walking on the clouds from above, but from the ground up to redeem. So as we think of baptism, think of it, Jesus being, in a sense, baptized into all of us. As the water flows around him, all of us going into him so that he can emerge out of that uh, with newness of life for all of us. And it's vital to note that baptism, uh, as it's always been, is a, is a symbol of death and resurrection. This really just foreshadows the ultimate act of redemption. Jesus taking our sin upon him at the cross. And not letting sin and death have the final word, but, but rising from the dead, resurrecting and offering new life through him. This, at the very beginning of his ministry, gives us the entire pattern of his work and his life. So as he emerges out of this water, the voice of God pronounces over him, You are my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. It's a great scene. I don't know who was there to hear it or not, or, or what exactly it all looked like, but, but that voice to me, You are my beloved, it resonates deeply within me. I desire that voice too. And the good news is I believe that Jesus Christ, through his baptism, in our participation in him, that voice can become the voice spoken over us. The one who's baptized into us, in a sense, is baptized so that he can then baptize us. A little bit confusing. Let me spell it out a little bit more. So as we look back in Luke, uh, in chapter 3, verses 16, John foretells the baptism of Jesus. He says, one coming after me um, is more powerful than I, not even worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. But he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And as the story plays out, we, we see this happen eventually at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Acts is basically the second act of Luke. We see what it looks like for when the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers. What the baptism of the Holy Spirit allows is participation Participation in Jesus Christ. I've said that word a couple times, participation. I think that's maybe the best verb to get around this idea. That we are taken into Jesus Christ 
through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.26, which is, I think I have another slide up there for that. Yeah, this really gets at the heart of it. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That is amazing. We are clothed with Christ because of his baptism of the Holy Spirit. What that means is that the Holy Spirit takes what is Jesus and clothes us with it. Jesus himself in John 17, 22 says, The glory that you have given me, speaking of God the Father, I have given them. The Holy Spirit takes what is Jesus and gives it to us. I'm going to say that again. Let these words sink in. The glory that I have given, uh, that you have given me, Jesus says to God the Father, I have given them. Incredible as we let that sink in. So the question then becomes how do we allow ourselves to be baptized by Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that it's by trust, by faith, by stepping into that river with Jesus, saying, I'm letting go of my way of life so that your way of life can dominate mine, so that your voice can be the determining voice in my life. It's about letting go. I, um, again, I, I just sit up here and talk about my kids, I guess. That's my analogy. <laughs> but that's, my rea- that's, that's my life um, a lot of the time. So Evelyn has learned a new reality. She likes to jump off things and have me catch her. It takes uh, a lot of trust with her. She's, she trusts me a lot to be able to do that. So uh, how we do it is she stands on the couch, I'm underneath her, and she just flings herself out upon me. And she gets to experience that new reality uh, that her trust allows, which is flying through the air. Now, it's kind of scary because she does this when I'm not even looking sometimes. And I have to kind of always be on my toes now whenever she's on furniture or tall things. Um, dangerous. I probably shouldn't have taught her to, to trust me in that way. <laughs> um, but you see, she's let go of the idea, the notion that, that if she jumps off things, that she'll crash into the ground. She's... Uh, put trust in the new reality that when I jump off things, Daddy's there to catch me. And I get to experience the exhilarating joy of flying through the air. She even has little wings now where she, you know, can do it. It's funny. So that, that's how we learn this new reality as well, as we, as we trust Jesus, as we let go of our old way of doing things, as our, our old kind of platforms out of which to live. We put ourselves on the platform of Jesus in his life, in his gift of the Holy Spirit, which says we're beloved in God. And that's how we live, as beloved of God. Thanks. You can take off your thinking caps now. That was, that was the thinking cap part. So thanks for, for journeying that kind of thick path there with me. Now, I really want to bring this home for us as we think about being beloved by God. Where's that place that you live? And what's the voice that you hear? I'm convinced our lives are shaped by voices deep within us that just kind of play on a loop over and over. So in that deepest place where no one else can hear, what's that voice that you hear? Is it a voice of of love? Or is it a voice of condemnation? A voice 
of worry or fear. I was talking to a pastor friend not too long ago, and he recalled the story of uh, someone telling him back when he was in seminary a while ago, somebody came up to him and said, you know, I was going to support you through seminary, but I'm not now. I, I just don't think you're pastor material. You can tell as he, he told that story to me how deeply that was in his heart, that word somebody had uttered over him. What words have people told you that replay and replay? Henry Nouwen, um, Christian writer, wrote about living the life of the beloved. It's a good book, The Life of the Beloved, where he meditates on what voices that we hear. Is it the Spirit's voice that allows us to participate in the belovedness of Jesus? Or is it a different voice? He says this. Yes, there is that voice, the voice that speaks from within, that whispers softly or declares loudly, you are my beloved, on you my favor rests. It's certainly not easy to hear that voice in a world filled with voices that shout, you're no good, you are ugly, you're worthless, you're despicable, you're nobody, unless you can demonstrate the opposite. He says, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts that sacred voice, God's voice. It calls us the beloved. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. The core truth of our existence. So what voice do you hear playing in your soul? I, uh, I Another remarkable aspect of, of this story appearing where it does in the Gospel of Luke is this appears, as I've said, before Jesus does any ministry. Before he does anything, he's beloved. His mission flows out of his status of being loved. A mission doesn't earn your belovedness. It flows out of it. I think I'm my son again. Again, all my analogies are analogies of my kids. But uh, he's done nothing. In fact, well, he does do something. He cries and poops and, and uh, sleeps. That's what he does. But I love him, you know. That's just the core of his existence is he's loved. And that's, that's the same for you. You're loved. You're loved. I mean, that's, that's the gospel, that, is that you're alienated from God, but God loves you. He's created a way through Jesus Christ for you to repair that relationship. It's as simple as that. Is you're, you are dearly, dearly loved. More than you can, you can even comprehend or imagine. It's just that simple. As we allow that voice to sink into our hearts, that deepest place, we're freed. We're freed from uh, worry about rejection. Love frees us for our... our for our best. I have a friend who's a rock climber. He, he climbs these crazy cliffs. He's like, you know, the guy that's going upside down and stuff. And he has this quote. Uh, he had this quote in his bedroom when we were growing up, and it said, um, I, I memorized it. It said, uh, the greatest impediment to physical, peak physical performance is fear of failure. 
I said, man, you're crazy. I'd be so scared trying to climb these rocks upside down and stuff. But he said, no, it's, it's when, you're, when you have confidence and you know that you do it, is that, that's when you're, you're free to be your best. I can't help but make a football analogy as well, right? You know, watching the 49ers last night. I, uh, man, that guy Kaepernick from, from my hometown area, um, that guy's got confidence. He messed up. You know, he threw an interception in the very first quarter. But what did he do after that? He had no fear of failure. He just came right back and, and played some of the best football I've ever seen anybody play. He was free to perform his best because he didn't fear rejection. He didn't feel fear of failure. It also allows, when you allow God's voice to become the determining voice in your life, it allows you to, to let go of self-focus. Because you're not all worried about, oh, am I, did I measure up enough? Did I, did I do right? Did, do, do people like me? You don't have to worry about that. Um, and the self-obsession we can let go of so we can really actually listen to somebody as they talk to us. And really think, how can I love this person? How can I share the love by which I've been loved with them? So there's so many good things that come from knowing that you're loved. Um, but I can stand up here and tell you that you're loved over and over. I can try to tell myself that you're loved. I can stare in the mirror and say, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved. But I don't think it'll really do anything until the Spirit of God um, tells us that to, to our heart. This is something the Spirit communicates to us. So I invite you, and I myself have felt challenged this week, to spend time in quiet, just listening. Just to try to hear, to get in touch with the voice of God. The voice that says you're loved. Nothing you can do to earn it. It's just the reality of things is that you're loved. So we, mean, we may need some silence. We may need some solitude. I know it's hard when we have families. And ask God's Spirit to speak to you. So there's two images in this passage that, uh, of, the, of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power to communicate love that really captivate me. We have the image of the dove, as I've talked about, and the image of fire. How do those two things get mixed together? It makes me think of some like 80s rock band, doves and fire. It's just, just a weird, uh, weird combination. Well, I love this. Fire, think about fire. Fire, like love, can't but help to communicate itself. You know, if, if fire, a fire is lit and there's fuel around, it's just going to spread. That's what it does. I think love's the same way. Love can't but help but spill out of our lives onto others. It's contagious. When we get in touch with this voice, our interactions change. Like right in front of, you know, as, as I did this this week, one of the things was I really focused on getting in touch with the, the voice that says you're loved. As I talked to people, I felt the Spirit kept saying, that person's loved by me. They're loved by me. And my interactions change. It's hard, hard to be, again, hard to be self-focused when the Spirit constantly is telling you, you're loved and they're loved. It's revolutionary. So, um, it's all around us, too. You know, there's this reality, this reality of the Spirit speaking is, is amazing because it can, you know, pervade any circumstance in any situation. I, uh, as one of the songs we sang talked about, uh, about the Spirit being like rain, I thought about rain a lot this week as well. And I was reminded of a time when we lived in North Carolina that uh, we decided to install some rain barrels at our house. 
we were having some drainage problems, so I thought, oh, I know a brilliant solution. Um, I'll just install rain barrels and we'll collect all the water um, that way. Well, in North Carolina, rain can come down pretty quick. And it, it didn't take long to realize um, the rain barrels weren't cut out to do the job. We put them out in uh, like one of those summer kind of deluges came and in about half an hour the rain barrels were overflowing with water. I was like, how does that happen? Raindrops are like that big, right? And how do they gather up on the roof and funnel down to the rain barrel and just flow over so fast? Um, I guess, you know, the roof actually has more surface area than I would have guessed. But it reminded me of the Spirit. I think once we put out those rain barrels, once we put out that question to God, God, speak to me your love, I think we'll, we'll find that uh, that love will overflow out of us like it does the rain barrels when we put them out. The choir is just, just, let's put it out there to God. Let's see what it's like um, when we create that space for him. So there's a, voice that longs to the, there's a voice that longs to let you know that you're loved. It invites you to a new sort of life in Jesus Christ. It takes the work of deciphering what voices are the prevalent ones in your lives. It takes the work of choosing to ask God for his voice. I'm confident that as you do that, as we do that, we'll find that we're more loved than you could dare to imagine. Uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. As, as we close in prayer, I want to invite you to kind of do an exercise in your imagination. Would you imagine yourself, and close your eyes if it's helpful, surrounded by all the people in your life? Kind of imagine all the different things going on. And imagine these things and these people, even just memories from your past, even your hopes for the future. Do you imagine those things just surrounding you in a circle? Now I want you to imagine there being a pool of water in the middle of that circle where you stand. I want you to imagine Jesus Christ being there in that water and him inviting you into that water. And uh, you're a little apprehensive, but you decide, okay, I trust you. Trust what you're doing. So as you go into that water, Jesus dips you underneath the water. Everything goes silent as you're underneath the water. Then he brings you up. And he looks you in the eyes. And you feel new life within you. And you hear a voice speaking to your heart that says, you are my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. And as this reality sinks in, you look all around you, and the things don't look the same. You look with gratitude, you look with confidence, you look with mercy, and you look with trust. Jesus, thank you for this time. I pray that, uh, again, it's that we would simply seek your voice and trust you at your invitation to live a life led by love.
Jesus' name. Amen.